May 15th, 2021 was a big day in my family. So it's shot day. How do you feel? Uh, I guess excited to get my shot. But also, it's a little unreal because I've been waiting for so long to get a vaccine. And I just, I don't know, I'm very nervous to get it. My 15-year-old daughter, Aiden, was duly eligible for the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. And we were on our way to get it. I'm just nervous because, you know, it's just like I built up in my mind. And I feel like it's probably, I'm not like, it's probably going to be fine. But... I just want things to go well. I'm not concerned, but I'm just like, oh, this this is a big deal. And I just, I just feel like I just wanted everything to be smooth. Why do you feel like this is a big deal? Well, because uh, it's the vaccine for COVID and, and like we've, been waiting I've been waiting to get it since literally the start of the pandemic I guess because it's supposed to be the thing that is supposed to get us back to normal and I, and like I can't do that until I get vaccinated the 12 to 15 year olds who are in the latest group to become eligible for the vaccine have a lot on their minds about this pandemic like there's a lot of people who died and then there's like a lot of people who don't even think that it's real or whatever and like don't want to wear masks or get vaccinated and it's sad because I feel like people who are just normal have become conspiracy theorists and are just like not taking not interested in taking care of others at all they just fall deeper down the hole of conspiracy theory and stuff. So that's a lot, right? It's a lot. We arrive at the vaccine clinic. It is pouring on that Saturday in San Antonio, just so wet and gray and kind of dismal. This clinic is set up at a church on the north side of the city where a lot of the hospitals are. It's in the children's ministry area, and there are a couple of dozen people there, mostly parents with young teens like us. Are you a minor? Yeah. Okay, so you'll need to fill out the consent form. They give us a couple of pages of information about the Pfizer vaccine. A fact sheet about the vaccine. That's pretty useful, I think. Maybe they should make this accessible to people, like, who aren't sure about their vaccine. Yeah. Like, I don't know, hand it out, like publicly or something like at the church or people come by just be like oh look here's a fact sheet if you're not sure about getting your vaccine because I think that everyone here has already decided they're going to get the vaccine no pun intended preaching to the choir Uh, (laughs) yeah but it's still good to have then it's our turn you want to pick up your sleeve for me it's Aiden's turn to get the shot on three, one, two, three. And doing good, doing good, doing good. Okay, good. It's tongue a little, she says, but not too bad. And shot one was done. Thank you okay. so much. No problem. Your card, baby. 
Yay. There you go. I'm so excited. Thank you. No problem. I don't know if you could tell there, but I was a bit emotional in that moment. 14 months of fear that one of us or both of us would get the disease. That one of us or, God forbid, both of us would die. 14 months of missed movies and the musicals that we love to go see at that beautiful old theater downtown. 14 months of school in her bedroom. 14 months of not hanging out with friends, just hanging out with mom who makes dumb jokes. Yeah, it's a lot. Yet on Friday, June 4th, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky felt like she had to make a statement encouraging more teens to get vaccinated. She did this as the CDC released a study noting there was an increase in the number of teenagers hospitalized with COVID-19 in March and April, and that nearly one-third of those hospitalized teenagers required intensive care. 5% of them required mechanical ventilation. The numbers are still small, to be sure, but they're not zero. And if it's your child, it's 100%. Still, not all kids are comfortable with a vaccine yet. They have questions. So I gathered up some of their questions and asked an expert for the answers. Welcome to Petri Dish from Texas Public Radio. I'm Bonnie Petrie, and this week we answer kids' questions about the COVID-19 vaccine. I think a lot of people underestimate what kids know about the things going on around them and underestimate the complexity of their questions about everything, even me, a mom to one of those kids myself. And when my daughter, Aiden, was waiting to be called for her first shot, she asked an interesting question. So they're putting it into my muscle instead of my blood? Right. Okay, so it's going to hurt a little? Why are they doing that instead of my blood? (laughs) Honestly, I hadn't ever thought about it. And then I wondered what other questions kids might have about the vaccine that I hadn't thought about. So I reached out to my parent friends across the country and asked them to ask their kids what they wonder about related to the vaccine. Then I took those questions to an expert, Dr. Barbara Taylor at UT Health San Antonio. She's an infectious diseases doctor. She's the lead investigator for the Novavax COVID-19 vaccine trial at UT Health San Antonio and University Health. And she's a mom to now vaccinated young teens. She was happy to answer all the kids' questions, starting with my daughter's. So why do they inject the vaccine into your muscle instead of putting it directly into your bloodstream? Oh, that is a great question. So generally, there are some things that we give just subcutaneously that just go into sort of the skin underneath the sort of into the tissue underneath the skin. Um, And there's some things that we give in the muscle. And then there's some things we give in the vein. Generally, it is harder to give something in in a vein, you have to find the vein, you have to inject it in the vein. Um, It gets into your body immediately that way. It is right there. And so if you think about things actually that you want your body to have an immune reaction to, putting mRNA in your blood 
might not work at all because your blood would just destroy it immediately. Uh, putting something in your muscle allows it to hang out in your muscle so that your immune system, your white blood cells can sort of recognize it as something foreign and attack it. And, and it is also a lot easier. Aiden will be happy to know. I'm happy to know. Okay, now on to a 14-year-old in Wisconsin. She wants to know if the vaccine was tested on kids 12 to 14. Yes. So that is the way that Pfizer got permission to give the vaccine to 12 to 15-year-olds. And based on review of those data, they received approval to give the drug under what's called emergency use authorization, which is the same way that adults get it to 12 to 15 year olds. Those data have now been published in a very reputable peer reviewed journal, the New England Journal of Medicine. It's free access. You can look it up and look at the data themselves. And that was over 2000 kids, 12 to 15. Half of them got the vaccine, half of them got placebo. And they looked at how safe it was and how effective it was. And when they were looked at, at the effective part, they looked both at antibody response and also at whether or not those kids got COVID. And it actually, they saw no, um, they, they had no cases in the vaccine arm of COVID and 16 in the placebo arm. So in their estimate, it was 100% effective. Now that's 100% with a pretty wide uh, margin of error. The margin of error was 75 to 100%. So probably right or, but you know, it looks right around as effective as it has been for adults, which is great news. But 2000 kids isn't a really large study, right? A mom in Minnesota tells me her 16-year-old won't get the vaccine because she doesn't think enough teens were in the trials. So for the 16-year-olds, that's different. So the 16-year-olds were included in the larger Pfizer, quote-unquote, adult trial. So there were over 40,000 people in the Pfizer trial. So half of them, about 18,600, got um, the vaccine. And many of those were kids, so 16 to 18 year olds. So I think in that circumstance, we actually have more data than we do for the 12 to 15 year old set. And the other thing to recognize for the 16 year olds and, and sort of 16 to 18 year olds is that we've been offering the vaccine to that demographic really since April. Um, so we've got two months and lots more kids getting kids being 16 to 18 year olds getting vaccine. And that is all getting reported into any adverse reactions are getting reported. So I think for 16 year olds, there's probably more data than than people think. But for 12 to 15 year olds, the trial was smaller. So like you, I have a 15 year old. And I would say that the difference between a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old is not that much. Um, we have fewer data on 
younger people. And this is why they're waiting, why we only have down to 12. Because, you know, a 12 size wise and immune system wise, the difference between a 12 year old, a 13 year old, a 14 year old, or those are fairly similar. 15 year old, 16 year old, these are fairly similar. Once you get younger, both in terms of size and where your body is in terms of the development of its own, of its immune system is different. And so those trials will be larger. And they are ongoing, which is why we don't have vaccines yet and probably won't until the fall approved for 11 and under. What about kids with pre-existing conditions? Were they involved in trials? What do we know about the vaccine and how people with pre-existing conditions experience it? So that is a challenge. And most of the studies, including, you know, the ones that are that I'm talking about were done in folks who did not have that many pre-existing conditions. Although all Pfizer and Moderna um, and Johnson and Johnson and, you know, the, the main, the main trials allowed people who had, they specifically were trying to include people with heart disease, with diabetes, with obesity, um, with some degree of kidney disease or liver disease in the studies. I think if you have a different type of pre-existing condition, so if you have cancer or if you have very severe kidney impairment or something like that, it is definitely worth talking to your doctor about risks and benefits of the vaccines. We have, however, you know, here locally, we've been offering vaccination and in in fact, encouraging vaccination for our transplant patients, for our um, folks who are currently receiving chemotherapy. We know that they won't, they might not develop as much of an immune response, but as far as side effects, the side effects are actually less in that group. Okay, that's a neat transition into my next question from a 13-year-old in Schertz, Texas, His mom had a mild autoimmune reaction to the shot, and he's worried about her, obviously, but also about what that means for him and his risk. From the data that we have so far, it seems like the thing that I would be more worried about is people with autoimmune conditions or any type of a lot of a lot of folks with autoimmune conditions are on medications that suppress their immune system because they're trying to keep their body from doing the thing that causes the autoimmune condition. So folks who are on chronic immunosuppressants probably do not create as many antibodies and as much of a an immune response to the vaccine. And we have seen that so far in in adults. There's in people who are older for sure, and we are getting some data of very few data so far, but some data on people with, um, you know, who are receiving chemotherapy for cancer and things like that, they seem to have slightly less of an antibody response. So for folks who are really immunosuppressed or on medications that profoundly suppress their immune system, I would worry about them not um, responding to the vaccine as well. And probably that would lead me for some people, and you would make an individual decision about this, to recommend that they do things like continue to mask or um, avoid, still avoid large crowds or things like that. Uh, the flip side of that, as far as the inducing an, an autoimmune illness. So we have seen that very rarely with the vaccines. It still seems to be 
incredibly rare. And it actually seems to happen not in people with pre-existing autoimmune disease, although we really don't have a lot of data. The, the folks who are getting sort of hyped up immune reactions tend to be younger. And by younger, I mean 20-somethings, 30-somethings, um, healthy folks whose immune systems just really respond to the vaccine and sort of go a little bit overboard. Uh, side effects. Kids, of course, are interested in what they might experience after the shot. A 14-year-old in Connecticut asked about that, and specifically if adults have stronger reactions to the vaccine than kids do. That is a great question. So I would say the answer to that is some adults. So the unlucky 20 to 30-year-old set seem to be the adults that get the most side effects. Um, kids seems, interestingly enough, less. So for, for at least the kids in the, the Pfizer study, the 12 to 15-year-olds, um, the most common side effect literally experienced by 86% of people is pain at the injection site. So I've been telling people, I, I've been telling everybody, it's going to hurt where you got the shot. Like that was definitely true. And as someone who just took her 11-year-old for in for her vaccination, routine vaccinations, uh, last Friday, we're all vaccinated in her family. So she got her HPV shot on Friday. And I would say that shot hurts more then I would anticipate the Pfizer shot would hurt. So for the for kids who've gotten their HPV shot, I would tell them it hurts less than the HPV shot, but maybe a little bit more than a, the average flu shot. The other side effects are less are less common. You know, so about half of people feel tired for a day or so. Some folks feel headaches. Uh, a few people feel chills. Very few of the, the, the kids in this study had fevers. So it was really, you know, fewer than 10% of folks got fevers. And that was more common after dose two that it went up to about 20% after dose two. And all of those things generally resolved in 48 hours. I have a few friends with children who've had COVID, and those kids are wondering if they'll have a different reaction to the vaccine than kids who haven't had COVID. They wonder if, since they may already have antibodies, they'll have maybe more side effects. So we don't really know the answer to that. What I can say is what we've seen with, with adults is that it doesn't really seemed to make that much of a difference. Initially, we thought that maybe people who had had COVID would have more side effects getting the vaccine than the folks without COVID. And so far, that doesn't seem to be playing out. We need a lot more data on this. But we, you know, the recommendations changed. At the very beginning, when the vaccines first came out, we were recommending people wait three months after they had recovered from COVID to get vaccinated. But that recommendation has changed for two reasons. One, we have a lot more vaccine, thank goodness, in the United States than uh, we did at the very beginning. So everybody should get um, everybody should get vaccinated. But also we have recognized that your own natural immunity after COVID infection doesn't do as good a job 
against protecting at protecting you against these newer strains than the vaccine does. So you can unfortunately get reinfected if you had COVID at the early days of the pandemic when we were dealing with the, the sort of older strains, and then you get exposed to, say, the B117 strain or the B1351 strain, which are the newer strains, you can get reinfected, even if you're pretty close to the first infection. And the vaccines seem to do a better job of protecting you than even our own natural immunity. Okay, let's talk about social media. Children today, as you know, are getting a lot of their information about the world from sites like Instagram and TikTok. And TikTok, in particular, is packed with videos about the vaccine turning you into an alien or installing you with a microchip or a magnet or a tracker. There's so much of this stuff targeted at kids that the CDC director said something about it recently on June 3rd, calling all of this, of course, ridiculous. But it can turn kids' heads or at least stress them out about the vaccine. Several of the kids we reached out to brought it up. So what do you say, Dr. Taylor? Are we injecting our kids with magnets or trackers or whatever? There are no magnets or trackers in these vaccines. If we had the ability to put a tracker in a liquid, we would be living in the sort of the world of Martin Short's short and inner space and sci-fi that we we are just not. The and it's interesting where the misinformation comes from. So it comes from the fact that each of the vaccine vials actually has a tracker on the vial itself. So why does it have a tracker? To keep people from making fake vaccines and selling them at a tidy profit. So yes, the vials have a tracker, but the liquid itself is just liquid and you can't put a tracker in liquid. Um, even, even trackers, if you think about it, like, what do we need to track our pets? You have to put a chip and those are not small. Um, so I just try to talk about sort of where the information come from, what are your worries can we talk about how that's probably not so likely um, and then go from there? Another mom in the upper Midwest says her 15-year-old son, who is vaccinated, wonders why, if it's so important, some of his friends aren't getting it. He asks, shouldn't they have to? That is a really good question. And there are colleges, at least, that are going to require vaccination for students who want to be on campus next year. And I think one of the answers is that a lot of organizations are waiting for full FDA approval before requiring vaccines. So there's a long history of requiring vaccines. I am required to get a flu vaccine every year. I don't have a choice in the matter. So I would get a flu vaccine anyway, but many of us healthcare workers do it because we're required. Um, I think that soon these vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, are likely to be granted full FDA approval. And when that happens, institutions will be able to require those vaccines. Already, private some private colleges and institutions are requiring them. And this is where I want to circle back to CDC Director Walensky and her recent statement about the increase in teen COVID hospitalizations. Kids can get sick. They can get very sick from this virus. Yeah. And I think we think about, especially since we're talking about kids, there's been so much discussion about how COVID 
is less severe in children and less of a serious thing in kids. And that is very true. But I think when we're thinking about risk benefits of vaccine, we have to remember that over 200 children died of COVID in the United States this year. And, and that's around how many die of flu. And we take that seriously enough that we vaccinated our children for flu. And so it's, I think, yes, it's definitely true that you are much more likely to get hospitalized. You're much more likely, unfortunately, to die from COVID if you are older. But that doesn't mean the risk for children is zero. And so the risk of many of these things, like an inflammatory disorder for COVID or long COVID or those things, is not zero in children. And since children generally are healthy and have very long anticipated lifespans, the risk benefit still still definitely benefits the side of vaccines for COVID for children because we want them to live long and healthy lives. And the best way that we can do that is to ensure that they don't get COVID at all. So all of this brings us neatly, I think, to school. A lot of kids went back to in-person classes this spring, and most of the rest will do so in the fall. Schools in Texas and some other states can no longer require children to wear masks, so some kids will and some kids won't. Some will be vaccinated and some won't. As a mom to a teen and a person who was once a teen myself, that's tough, right? That seems like a recipe for kids to single each other out and even for bullying, it seems. Yeah. So I think there are a lot of there's a lot of room for people to make their own decisions and for those decisions to be the quote unquote correct decisions for them. So, for example, if your daughter is vaccinated and everybody else in your house is vaccinated, you can argue very logically that she probably doesn't need to mask. Even if she's going into these settings where there are going to be a bunch of kids who are unvaccinated because she is much less likely to get infected. If she gets infected, she will not get severe. It's very unlikely that she gets severely ill. There are other decisions that could be made that would also be correct. So somebody who's coming home to somebody who's profoundly immunocompromised and doesn't want to take this sort of, okay, well, it's 60% effective at preventing asymptomatic infection, but I don't want that 40% risk of potentially passing it on to someone at home who's immunocompromised, then I'm going to mask in, in school. And so Reasonable people can make different choices. And I think the second part of your question, which is the the sort of bullying question, is really hard because we see adults do this, too, on both sides. And I think we really I would just urge people to recognize two things. One, that reasonable people with the same information who are completely informed can make really different decisions. And so we need to not be judging people or assuming that people feel one way or another when we see them wearing a mask or not. We have to give people room for making their individual choices about their own risk and take care of ourselves. Like if you're worried about that context, then wear a mask. We know now we have tons of data that masks will protect you. The other part is we know from 
decades of research about what changes human behavior is that shaming other people never works. So if you want to influence your peers towards mask wearing or towards vaccination, bullying them or making them feel ashamed is not going to be effective. And so, and that works both ways. Let's get to the lighter stuff. A 15-year-old near Dallas wants to know, now that she's vaccinated, how long till she can have a big old get-together with her friends? That is a great question. So the answer is two plus two. So you need two shots and two weeks. And that's a good way to remember it. And unmasked? Can they all be unmasked as well? This is a challenge, right? This requires a lot of communication. Just like we communicate about risk in other ways, we have to communicate about risk in this way. So you got to talk to your friends about whether or not they're vaccinated or not. And yeah, you can have get togethers. We can have sleepovers again with vaccinated kids. Like it, it can happen. Um, and it is a miracle of science that we're actually able to do this. And it's amazing. For me, it is amazing. I think how much it matters for my daughter and her friends to be able to think about getting together again. Or for me, just connecting with my own friends and being able to have a dinner party. We are social beings, we humans, and we've really missed one another. Yes, we have. Thank you, Dr. Taylor. So on Saturday, June 5th, it was so rainy last time. Look at the sunshine. We drove to get my daughter's second shot of the COVID vaccine. Between the first shot and the second, my daughter turned 16. Sweet 16 with a party that was just her, her father and me. Glitter and a crown and fancy cupcakes, but just us. She hadn't had her second shot yet. She also finished 10th grade, all virtual, and she did really well, good grades, and a National Latin Award. But this isn't the way we want to live forever, in our bubble, isolated from those we love and even those we don't. So here we are again at the vaccine clinic at the church. Hi. Are you here for the first or second? Second. Her card? Her card, yes. We went in for the second shot. And it was over almost before it began. That was it? That was it. (laughs) That was like way faster than the first one. Oh, look, your card is filled out. Yay. Ow. That hurt? Yes. It's okay, though. Move your arm. What? It's fine. My daughter is fully vaccinated. In two weeks, we're going to the movies at a theater with popcorn and raisinets and buckets of soda. This summer, we're going to fly to New York and see our family for the first time in I don't know how long. Dr. Taylor is so right. We've missed each other so much. Now, my daughter is 16, and she's no longer a part of the age group we're focusing on in this show. But three weeks ago, when she was 15 and got her first shot, I asked her if she thought other 15-year-olds should get their vaccine. Uh, I think a 15-year-old should get the vaccine because, well, they, I just think that everyone should get it, but 15-year-olds are almost adults, really, and they're going to go to school, and they're going to be around lots of teachers and staff, and also their families and stuff. So, 
you know, you, t- 15 year olds can get it, like, can get hurt from it as well. And they can hurt other people. So it's, it's still good precaution to get the vaccine. I think we'll end this show right there, because what else needs to be said? If you're eligible for the vaccine, get the vaccine. My daughter, Aiden, says so. This episode of Petri Dish was produced by me, sound design and music by Jacob Rosati. Our executive producer is Fernanda Camarena. Special thanks to Mark Mehmet for his continuing contributions to the show. TPR's news director is Dan Katz. Petri Dish is a production of TPR and the Texas Newsroom, a collaboration between public radio stations across Texas and NPR. I'm Bonnie Petrie. Talk to you soon. (laughs) 